Hi, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of February 7, 2011. This is episode 92, and I'm Chris Bevelo, president of Interval, healthcare marketing agency that puts on the podcast. Joined today in studio by Jackie Ritaco, account coordinator, and Adam Meyer, creative director. How's it going? Good. Well, all right. To forgive my extra baritone voice today, I'm still getting over a cold. Yeah, I noticed on a couple of the last podcasts <laughs> that I had the baritone thing going, and I didn't even yeah. realize it. I wish I did. White. Hey, baby. Hey. <laughs> Love Whatever, my you like it. Coming up in my throat. <laughs> I have a cold, but I like it. <laughs> well, assignment for this weekend, of course, this podcast is coming out after the fact. So, again, we have to get in our time machine and figure that out. But it's a Super Bowl. So, oh. make sure. Super you, Bowl this weekend? This Super Bowl special Super Bowl, next week. So, next week will be our Super Bowl special where we kind of talk about the ads. <laughs> oh, ads, yep. 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 That's fun. See if you can keep an eye off. There's anything healthcare related. <laughs> I we saw something some, something about. I don't. I think it was this year for this year. Maybe it was for last year. A lot of people who have traditionally advertised during the Super Bowl are dropping it this year. They're just not seeing the that too, the value yeah. of spending what three million a minute. I think. Yeah, they're just not. They're like, it just doesn't make sense right now. In the today, in this, whether it's the economy or just the direction that. Their business is going, or whatever, or marketing or effectiveness. Mark, yeah. yeah, yeah, they're like, it's, it's doesn't doesn't feel right anymore. It's not a good investment. Well, I'm sure we'll <laughs> see our Viagra Cialis, whatever ads. Right, oh, those are pretty common. They are. So I guess that's healthcare. But see if we see anything else. Yeah, that'll be a fun one to talk about. Yeah, and a good game too. I'm excited for the game. Is it the Packers and the Steelers? Uh huh. Yeah. Two storied franchises. Yeah. <laughs> who between them have probably more Super Bowl. No, that's not true. The Steelers have more Super Bowls as many as anybody else. So if they won this time, I think they would be in the lead as an organization. Really? Um, yeah. What about the Packers? They haven't won a long time, have they? Packers have won three. <laughs> but it's been a while? Well, it's been since 95 or something. Okay. Brett Favre won his. Favre. Favre. <laughs> to this day, I always want to say his last name like that. Favre. And I'm it actually rooting old. for the Packers. I like the Packers, which I know is traitor talk in this neck of the woods. It is. Vi- poor Vikings fans. Some of them are, it's pretty sad. <laughs> it is. It's, they take as much joy in another team's demise as they do their <laughs> own team's success. And yeah. this year was so bad for the Vikings that. Oh, yeah. It's just like oh salt gosh, in the yeah. wounds. Yeah. I don't even really it's follow even football, and, I, and I'm well aware of how craptastic the Vikings <laughs> were this year. Yeah, they were really bad. Yeah. You try not to be a Fairweather fan, but whew. We're pretty this bad. Is this tricky. state is pretty bad about that. It doesn't seem so bad for the Twins, though. The Twins yeah, seem to kind true. of keep a loyal following. Let's do the Wilds. are loyal. Yeah, they are, but they're just so... It's like when the team is down and out, they're just like, really negative about them. Well, I think, yeah. that, I think that that is, I see that not as fair weather. I think fair weather is when the team is bad, you're, you're apathetic to your t-shirt. You're not upset. You're like, I don't care. Like the Timberwolves. Right. If you're passionately upset, then that's, that's actually a, a very strong fan sure, base. Sure. So the Vikings, I think have the strong fan base in town, but the twins mm-hmm. are a little more like that. The Timberwolves for sure. People just don't care. Yeah. And Minnesota has a reputation wow. for being kind of Norwegian or Scandinavian in there, you know, not like Philadelphia, not like Chicago or New York. 
Um, not quite as high a level as passion, I think, as you find other places. But I don't know. With the yeah, Vikings, it's just a lot of passion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There are a lot of them. Yeah. All right, let's dig into some of this stuff. We've got a, a big fat one in the middle that we're going to have to work our way through. But uh, I came across an article <laughs> about our old friend, Carol. Carol.com. Our old friend, Carol. Remember Carol? <laughs> we used to talk about Carol all the time. I haven't heard we, of that in a while. I know. Well, they kind of went down in yeah. the rise and fall and rise again of Carol. So Carol.com was a Minnesota-based, Minneapolis-based organization that was trying to create basically online shopping malls for healthcare mm-hmm. so that consumers could go and shop in a retail environment for care, compare the different options, compare the prices, whatever. Uh, I always thought that the, it was a phenomenal idea, but it was a little bit ahead of its time mm-hmm. as far as consumers being ready for it. And in this market, they blanketed you know, the streets with advertising about you shop for a tie, why don't you shop for your doctor, that kind of thing. Uh, so really love what they were about, but they just couldn't make it work. Uh, so in the article, it talks about how they, you know, they stuck around even though they shrunk way down. Uh, and now what they're doing is helping uh, provider organizations set up payment mechanisms that reward overall quality of care rather than paying per test procedure. So they've, they've kind of changed their audience uh, and are working with health systems to try to figure out ways to uh, incent them uh, and working with insurers and providing some kind of online platform to track all of this is the general sense that I got. So sounds like a still like a successful venture right now. Uh, but there was part of it that scared me a little bit, and I and I, it's a little bit of grain of salt. But I wanted to just discuss it real quick. This, the article starts like this. Well, the, the title is Carol Corp quickly recovering from Carol dot com missteps. So mm. Carol dot com was the re, the consumer retail healthcare site. Tony Miller, so he's the owner or the founder. This is how it starts. Tony Miller thought he could revolutionize healthcare with Carol dot com. By allowing people to comparison shop for treatments online in the same way they might look for a car or a sofa. He was wrong. His small startup couldn't overcome the technical hurdles surrounding the fact that comparing different health providers' medical procedures is rarely an apples to apples proposition. So that's what stopped me in my tracks. I thought, well, first of all, I don't think that's really the truth uh, behind why it didn't succeed. But this is, it's stated like that was the reason why. And if that's mm-hmm. the reason why, we're kind of screwed. Yeah. <laughs> because if, if the premise is that you can't compare provider options, then consumerism is doomed to failure. There's no way that you can hope that consumers will become empowered <clears throat> through more information or for th- spending their own money if there's no way for them to compare their options. Right. right? How do you think he means that it's not an apples-to-apples comparison? Just that the, I think he means the, like you can compare cars and you can compare sofas and you can compare very milk. obviously, mm-hmm. very obviously. What's the what are the features? What right. am I getting? And I can I can quantify that with the price and do I want to pay that much? And so that's what I think it means that you can't do that in healthcare. Uh, and I think there's a little bit of truth to that. Yeah. But if we can't, if we really honestly can never get to a place to compare apples and to figure apples, that out, yeah, then consumerism <clears throat> has no shot. Right. Right? There's just no way. So I think it's a I think it's a uh I don't know if it's if it's Carol.com spin, if it's the reporter's spin. Um I tend to think that it's it sounds like a convenient r- reason to explain why the venture didn't work from a corporate perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not our fault, it's healthcare's fault. And I think, yeah, I mean, where we're at now, they were ahead of their time. 
And it was not only was it difficult for consumers to understand how and why to use this, but difficult for them to kind of lasso the providers and get them to provide apples to apples comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine. Well, there's so many, I mean, yeah, I can see both sides. I mean, there's so many things like cars, for example, there are so many things that are easy to explain that are fairly obvious that make it easy to compare cars. Like for me, I don't know anything about cars. I know very little about cars, put it that way. I know a few things. I know what I need to know, but I know enough to know how to compare car A to car B and make a decision based on that. But I think even with that said, I would have a difficult time probably comparing. I would need somebody to probably help me compare doctors or hospitals or clinics even Mm -hmm. um, in many cases. In, In certain cases, there will be things that are obvious that will pull me to A or B but those things might be convenience or maybe cost. I don't know. Yeah. Probably not. The, the challenge is, and how you think about it, if you're trying to create <clears throat> products to put on the shelf from a healthcare perspective, you can see why that would be difficult to do. Okay, well, heart surgery. Well, you can't just say heart surgery. There's so many variations and there's so many different yeah. variables involved in what would be entailed in right. delivering that. Um, that's what I think is difficult. But if you flip it from the perspective of I'm a patient and I need this, you would hope there'd be a way for me to go. Now, how can I get that from hospital A versus hospital B versus hospital C? Because now we're talking about a specific product, specific to that customer that needs something that can be defined. And you would hope that they would be able to compare. Uh, again, it's you can understand why that would be difficult now. Uh, but this is kind of why we've talked for a couple of years now about how consumers may never be in a position to understand this fully. And right. there, we may see a rise of almost a, a middleman <laughs> industry of brokers uh, or consultants or advisors or planners, just like in the financial industry, mm-hmm. who do understand it, who do know how to compare convenience and price and quality uh, and act on behalf of the consumer. And the consumer pays for that somehow. Uh, so... You know, or maybe this provider, is another example. Or the of provider that. pays for it. Providers may pay for it on yeah. some level, as well. Yeah, if they're driving trap, but then you have to worry about those quote unquote right advocates being biased, biased to one who is just like in financial planning. Right. If the financial, if your financial planner yeah. is supported by a giant mutual fund, and that's how he makes or she makes her money, mm-hmm. then can you really trust their advice when they say you should put your money into this mutual fund? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because you make more money off of it. That's, you know, it's potentially yeah. regardless of whether it makes money for me. <laughs> yeah. So that's the challenge with that. But, uh, you know, it's an interesting way to think about it. And yeah. there, are, yeah. there are organizations that have come forward, like Red Brick Health, Bloom Health. Those are Minnesota-based uh, whose sole intent is to, to get in at an employer level and help the employees make those kind of decisions. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, I just thought we would uh, bring that up because we've talked about Carol quite a bit. Okay. We're going to start a new feature called Healthcare Reform Corner. Yay. It's a nice little uh, jingle in there. Focused by, hosted <laughs> by your... Healthcare Reform. Healthcare Reform <laughs> Corner, hosted by PhD... <laughs> Zachary Blowhard. <laughs> yeah, healthcare reform is still with us. We thought it kind of went away when it was passed, and we could, you know, we knew we would have to get up to speed on this. And so I've been spending some time doing that. Uh, so, huge caveats, first of all. So, as of this recording, yesterday 
the effort in Congress to repeal health care reform officially failed because the Senate Democrats blocked the repeal in the Senate, which means there will not be a <clears throat> congressional repeal of the law in its entirety. It'll have to come from the courts. Well, there's two things that can happen. One is, yes, it could come from the courts. And the other is, uh, just because they didn't repeal the law in its entirety, which is, I don't know how often that happens. It's very rare that ever happens. There's plenty of ways the law could be changed, diluted, whatever, mm-hmm. because the law is still being shaped through regulation and it has to be funded. And so depending on what party's in power, they can cut funding, they can influence regulations. There's all kinds of ways that it can be changed moving forward. Or it could go in front of uh, the Supreme Court, which is likely to happen. Right. Because so now we've had a federal judge, two federal judge, actually four, two federal judges rule that it's constitutional, <clears throat> two rule that it's not. And the, the key with the latest ruling that happened, I believe, early this week or late last week in Florida yeah. was the judge, uh, for the first time, a judge said, because this one element is unconstitutional, the whole schmear is unconstitutional. Right. So that'll be a, the one element is the mandate right. that you have to have insurance. Right. So, Which kind of is the backbone of. Well, no, deal. I mean, it's, it's an important, it's a key part of it. That's right. why he said, without this, the rest of it needs to go. But there's a lot of other things in there that have nothing to do with that, one of which is what we're going to talk about. So who knows what the hell's going to happen? But <clears throat> organizations are already moving forward. They already have, there's already components of the law in place, like insurers have to cover children without pre existing. Uh, they've raised the cap on lifetime uh, limits for coverage. So there's, it's already moving, so it's just a matter of how we'll keep moving. Uh, and one of the hottest parts of this is the ACO, which is Accountable Care Organization, even though one uh, resource I read said of, of the 1,900 pages that is the health care reform bill, only seven are dedicated to the ACO. So just describe what, the, what an ACO yeah. is. Exactly. An Accountable Care Organization is intended to be a collection of uh, most likely a hospital or hospitals, health system, uh, and physician groups, either part of the system or not, uh, and potentially payers. They could be part of this group too. So imagine those all those groups coming together okay. and forming a separate organization. This is the ACO, whose job is to, they're all to work in a, in a coordinated effort to drive down cost and to improve quality. And they will be paid based on their ability to do that. And so if they're able to meet standards and drive costs, they'll be rewarded for that. They'll, they'll get more reimbursement, for example, from Medicare. Mm. This is all Medicare-based, the, the, the uh, legal part of it. Uh, so they're incented to be more efficient. They're incented to make sure that they're not driving people through to receive care that they don't necessarily need. Right. Uh, they're incented, <laughs> for example, to try to keep people healthy. <coughs> because that keeps them out of the operating room. So it's supposed to solve a lot of the key issues. Uh, There's so many (laughs) unknowns with it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of ridiculous to talk about it. Uh, For example, you know, would these things be considered uh, anti-competitive? So they would, they would run afoul of antitrust. So in other words, in some communities, the creation of this would create a monopoly of care, which is illegal. Uh, in other cases, you basically have uh, different resources or competitors in a market coming together and setting prices, which is also against Col- antitrust laws. Or- right. Uh, you have stark laws <clears throat> where the whole intent of this is that you try to keep patients 
within your ACO, which means physicians will refer because they're going to see a benefit for that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the whole point of Stark is they're, Stark is supposed to eliminate the incentive of physicians referring for their own financial gain. Sure. So there's so much to figure out, but a lot of providers around the country are moving forward with this, trying to figure out how they're going to uh, embrace it. Are they going to create these? How are they going to create them? So in reading about all of this, uh, one of the things that occurred to me is I haven't read anything about how these ACOs will be branded. And, and here's kind of the key. So it's kind of weird to even think about how will they market because it sounds like patients will be assigned to ACOs just, I don't want to say at random, uh, but somebody somewhere is going to say, if this is your ACO, these are the patients that you are to serve in the community. It has to be like a minimum of 5,000. Uh, it doesn't sound like patients opt in. They're just somehow assigned. Maybe the ACO says, this is who we're going to take. Oh, they don't get to choose the patients? Well, the patients don't get to choose which ACO they're assigned to, Okay, but they will have the choice of using the ACO or not. Okay. So in other words, they don't have to stick with this ACO. They could go to another ACO or to a provider that's not even in an ACO. And all of that is because there's a, you know, there's a huge effort to make sure that patients have choice. Mm-hmm. based on the backlashes of the past from managed care. So when you think about it from that perspective, ACOs will have to <coughs> compete to keep these patients. Even if the patients are uh, just assigned to them, they can't assume that they're going to be used, that they're going to stick with the ACO. So they're going to have to kind of compete in some right. way. They're going to have to persuade patients to stick with the mm-hmm. ACO because they have better quality, better price. Uh, some examples may be that they share the savings so, you know, if you stick with us, you're going to get lower cost for your encounters, whatever. Who mm-hmm. knows what it's going to be? Uh, but if they have to compete, uh, they're going to have to promote themselves. They're going to have to market themselves. There's going to have to be a brand. Definitely. Well, what the hell is that brand? This is what I, I and, and admittedly, I've read like a dozen things on this, and I'm sure there's 10 times that out there. So maybe I'm missing something obvious. But if you, if you think of a system in town, that collects some independent physician groups and works with a particular payer to create an ACO. Is that ACO named after that health system? Does it have a separate name? Mm-hmm. And if it has a separate name, what does that do to the health system's brand name? You know, imagine the confusion in the market. Consumers can't even keep, you know, health systems versus their independent hospitals versus <laughs> the physician groups that are independent. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a, maybe maybe we can flip this on its head and say this, maybe this is an opportunity to simplify this convoluted out of control system in the eyes of the consumer by having a few more rather than all these crazy brands that are trying to work together. Now you've got this umbrella brand that that's what the consumer sees and thinks of yes. and relates to. Mm-hmm. And now all those other internal, although they're going to have to deal with those internal brands on some level when they hit them in practice. Right. Um, and but that's the, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I know. That's <laughs> where your, your mind yeah. starts going crazy. And you're right. I think the utopian version would be, okay, the ACO is the brand and the other ones mm-hmm. go away. But certainly in the beginning, because this is so experimental, I can't imagine any of those participant organizations. So the hospital, the health system, the physician groups, letting go of their own brand. I mean, who knows if this is going to work? A lot of them are going to be um, serving patients that are not in the ACO, so you got to support your brand for them. Uh, it, it just seems like we're going to be throwing a whole other layer of branding yeah. on yeah. the market that's going to 
conflict, confuse, uh, be redundant in some cases. And I, and I, you know, maybe other folks have figured this out, but when, when I started thinking about it, I just went, wow, what, how is this going to fall out? This would be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. But as a consumer, you know, to me, well, ultimately what matters in the end is that I got my care and that it was paid for regardless of how convoluted the process was in terms of the brands that I'm interacting with. I mean, that's what really matters to me as a consumer. Yeah, but <clears throat> of course, but you've got to figure out how to get there. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, right? I, I, I mean, know how to get there based on the but how do you know? health insurance plan we have now. I know what the options are. I'd go to the one that's closest. Right, but what if you have now a new ACO <clears throat> option and your physician may or may not be in it? Well, I'm probably unique in that I still don't really have a, a physician. But you, you've said before that you have a specialist you see yeah. for your allergies. So take oh, that yeah, that's example. True. That's true. Or I'm sure you're. I don't even know. Like, I don't even know if I can see him. Don't anymore, you have? A, don't you have a pediatrician? Uh, yeah, but we're, or like, we're pediatric switching group. around. Right. Yeah, it's been changing because our health insurance has been changing though too. So okay. Well, I think you will find that it will apply to you. It'll apply to anybody who sees a physician, yeah, I well. think, or goes to a hospital. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a blog post about it, and it's basically <clears throat> the same message, which is. Here's how it seems like it's going to be, and if that's the case, how does this work, and how does that work, and won't this confuse people? And, and who? So to think about it this way: Who markets the ACO? Is it some interdivisional committee of all the different participant organizations that gets together and decides how to market it? Who who's Oof. gonna who's gonna referee the conflict between the ACO and the main system brand? Mm-hmm. Where does the money come from? Yeah, who is this funds it? Sap from the already sapping or sapped <laughs> marketing budgets of existing providers, or maybe it just becomes. I mean, maybe the ACO stays entirely transparent to the consumer. Which is yeah, there's a lot of talk about how the consumers won't necessarily even know they're in an ACO, right? But if but if an ACO has to work to keep that consumer, right? Then they're gonna have to know. You I mean, think how do you so? persuade somebody to stick with? Because here's why they have to persuade them. Let's say that if I understand this right, the three of us are assigned to a particular ACO based on where we live, I think is how it works. Who knows? Um, and I decide that, well, I don't like who's in the ACO, so I'm going to continue to see my doctor. The ACO is still responsible for covering the cost of that. They're still responsible for that my encounter, because I'm part of the ACO, that encounter will apply to their outcomes. Really? How screwy is that? At least that's the way it's set up right now. Okay. So so even though they're not providing care to me, whatever my outcomes are will impact whether or not they're <coughs> meeting the standards that are being set for them. So they are very incentive to keep me in-house because they don't want me to run into some hack right. who's going to run up the cost and – and run down the quality, which is then going to be applied to, you know, their data. That's how it's set up right now. So there's, you know, there's pushback from organizations saying, well, that's, first of all, we want to pick who's in our ACO, which of course, then they cherry pick the healthiest people. Um, <laughs> we don't want to be responsible for people who step outside of the ACO, but then that kind of defeats the purpose of this collective. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it can't stay transparent. Now, again, who knows? The, the federal government, CMS, I'm sure, is supposed to release guidelines, which are kind of pending. and Everybody's kind of on pins and needles because that will really 
help people know, okay, this is exactly what mm-hmm. we can do and how it's going to work. And once those come out, you're going to hear backlash no matter what they are from smaller groups, from larger groups, from rural versus inner city, whatever, profit versus nonprofit. So then we'll hear more, I think, about how this will roll. But Interesting stuff. Yeah. It's a head shaker. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. I don't know how to respond to all of it. No, maybe it's premature like, hmm. to think about it, but since organizations no. are already in planning stages for this stuff, you know, my guess is it's the last thing on their freaking mind. And the way I think it mm-hmm. would work is their heads are spinning like ours are, but their heads are spinning around how do we set this up? How are we right. going to divide up the money? What's the legal entity? All that. They're going to figure all that out. And then they're going to like the last day before they open the ACO door, they're going to be like, ah, are we going to call this thing? Whatever. You know, it's going to be whatever. <laughs> we don't care. They won't have thought through that as it reflects on their own brands because they'll be so burnt out from mm-hmm. all the other <laughs> aspects of it. Just like what happens with other branding, right? Within healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's usually kind of an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Anyway, love to hear from people that maybe know more about this or have put some thought on into it about what they think. All right. One last segment before we go eat lunch. 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 Uh, we often talk about our favorite ads we love and ads we hate, um, and we'll be spending an inordinate amount of time next time because of the Super Bowl. That's true. So uh, instead of going there, we thought we would pick a different medium. And we've, we've been talking more and more about mobile websites or mobile web applications uh, as a very valuable tool in healthcare, whether it's consumer-oriented or physician-oriented. Uh, so I thought we would kind of start our favorite mobile website discussion, which sounded reasonable until I started thinking about it. And then I'm like, well... <sighs> what are my favorite mobile websites? And then I realized that most of them are pretty, I don't know. It's not like Standard. they're awesome. Yeah. Like there are, if we talked about native apps, <clears throat> we could talk about mobile phone apps that are awesome. Right. But it's hard with a website because it just feels like it's a better version. <clears throat> but I do have an example. So I don't know if you guys want to start. Yeah, well, I think it's, um, the problem is that a lot of people right now, Many people who are trying to get into the mobile space in terms of mobile versions of their websites are creating kind of half-assed, hacked-together versions of their sites that are not a very good experience. Those who are doing it right and doing it well are creating mobile web apps, mobile versions of their websites that feel very much like native apps on a phone. Um, <clears throat> before the show, we actually threw out a few good ones. Um, Jackie, you mentioned some Google ones. Those are going to be my examples, too, of, of the mobile version of Gmail is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, mobile version of their calendar is pretty good. I don't think it's quite as good as it could be. Um, their mobile version of their Google Reader for following RSS feeds. And these are all just HTML-based right. solutions. They're not native apps. <clears throat> um, are fantastic. Wells Fargo has a pretty decent mobile version. Mm-hmm. Basecamp Basecamp is a tool just, we use. Basecamp just released, just released theirs. So yep. I haven't used it yet. <clears throat> I brought yeah. it up and just looked at it a little bit. But... Um, from what little I saw, it looked nice. Um, the weird thing about the Wells Fargo one is if you've used the Wells Fargo native app, like on an iPhone, it's pretty much, they're pretty much bringing their website, their mobile website into like a native app environment. So right. if you've used the local, it's, it's very weird because if you've, if you've relied on their, on their mobile website, 
mm-hmm. and then downloaded the app thinking, oh, well, it'll be, I'll just use the native app. It'll be easier. And then you open that up and it's like, oh, it's their mobile website in a window, in a windowed native app. So it's kind and of like the same thing. don't you think that's because thing. I think people have focused more on native apps than mm-hmm. well, because it sounds sexy. We've got a new iPhone app or a new iPad right, app. Right. And even though it may be in your, like Wells Fargo, if what you're explaining is right, it's the same thing as the mobile. It just sounds way better. It sounds sexy. And I think in the consumer's mind, native apps are still what they think of when it comes to apps. Right. There's like, oh, I need, I need this company's version of this. I need to be able to access this company's stuff on my phone. I need their mm-hmm. app. So that that's kind of what's in people's heads, um, which is a little unfortunate being that you can create you can create many of those experiences exactly the same through a mobile optimized website. You so. know one of the one of the key differences before I get to my favorite um, mobile <laughs> website that I've encountered a couple times now is not in, not in every case but native apps allow you to use their functionality many times without the internet. And and that right. can be a huge right. deal. So for example when I was in France uh, I can't remember the name of it, which is really sad because it was a phenomenal app about Paris. And it had, you know, you could plot your day and it had all the maps mm-hmm. and all the information, all that, and it would download it. And so once it was downloaded, you were good to go without right, the internet. Right. Now you could update it. So like if you want to see traffic changes or whatever, but because I didn't have the internet very often when I was over there, it was still an extraordinarily valuable tool Another example is TripIt, which is a great native app. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Once that information's in there, it's in there. And I don't have to have web access at the airport, for example, to, to look That's at true. my confirmation yeah. number. There, there is actually um, the iPhone specifically. I believe Android phones and Blackberries, maybe some other ones have this built in as well. But there are ways for web developers who are creating web apps to take advantage of the system's ability to download data and keep it locally on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that can be used for all sorts of stuff. I haven't actually explored it personally, but I know it's possible because I've played with some people who, with some web apps that do that. So there are ways to, to do oh, exactly what you're saying. But it would um, be hard for like like Wells Fargo. I mean, right? Because clearly you, you, you're accessing right, your current bank account. Right. That, yeah, you'll have to. That'd be a tough one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the one that I've been using uh, in talking to clients and trying to give an example of a mobile website or web application as opposed to a native is ESPN. Dot com, And the way, you know, if you're familiar with ESPN.com, the standard uh, site, there's got to be a hundred links. Yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a ton going on, mm-hmm. uh, which is okay. And it's organized just fine. Uh, but there's just so much going on. And, you know, there's lots of videos potentially to run. You, you try to look at that on a smartphone and you're hosed. I mean, to your point earlier, Adam, you're, you're the, the first thing you're doing is you're trying to zoom in because you can't read anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the mobile version of it is very simple. Uh, it's basically like one column just to fit, you know, that's the point, right? Fits within one. There's usually one photo at the top, not a not a logo or a video, but a photo. Uh, and then it's got maybe the top two or three things going on. And then it has basically bars that you can click on and it will instantly open for you know, like latest news or more analysis or great videos. And so those are very easy to access. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is clean. They open and close so you can make it as long or short as you want. Uh, And that, I think, is a perfect example of taking your content and making it (coughs) way more convenient and easy to use. 
uh, online. You know, most of the other ones I have, like Star Tribune, which is the local newspaper, uh, it's basically just all of the links formatted so they fit on the phone. As right, it's not a great example. So it doesn't feel like, to your point earlier, Adam, it's more like they've just had mm-hmm. to provide our links in a, in a vertical column. Yeah. Which is okay. It's still better than their website, but ESPN seems to have, have done a better job of at least creating an experience, designing it right. so it's an experience that's better. Right. I think I just need to start paying attention to it more. I mean, I just don't use my phone to surf the web maybe as much as you guys do. Oh, I typically do it I, on a computer. So yeah, me, me too. I mean, I use iPad or a computer, Gmail and Wells Fargo, and I'm trying to think of some other websites I might use quite frequently on my iPhone, and they look great to me because they're the ones that I go to. I don't really deviate too far right. from them. And I use a lot of native apps, actually. Yeah. I, use, I use a lot of native apps. Yeah. So. On the iPad, too, it, that's a whole different story because the iPad apps or the mobile version of mm-hmm. the iPad website, I'm not saying that right, <laughs> the iPad version <laughs> of a mobile website, how's that? Yes. Uh, those are obviously different. Usually they're what, way more visually oriented, a lot more pictures and videos, at least my experience has if, been. If it's, a, if it's any different at all than a standard website. I mean, the iPad right. screen is actually big enough that a, a, pretty, a standard website is going right. to be pretty, but, pretty but darn functional had, on there. I've, and here's a trick, because this, is, this has been bothering me a little bit recently. I have like the CNN iPad app mm-hmm. and the BBC iPad app yep. and the New York Times yep. and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and, and those are different than their websites. Absolutely well, different. The, the apps are for sure. The apps are. The apps, yeah. But, but I find myself now being a little irritated of having to jump between Safari and the apps. Like normally when I'm browsing the internet, mm-hmm. I'm in one application, which is Safari, and I'm able to go wherever the heck I want. Uh, when I'm in apps, I have to get out, get into another one. So go to CNN, to BBC. I know it's like 10 seconds or 15 seconds, so it's not like... Well, right. if you, are you using horrible. the double-tapping the home button and then yeah. doing the multitasking? but it's just, it's just... It's probably not even many more steps than to do it within a browser. It just it's occurred to me recently that it's an interruption of the experience. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what, if there's any way around that, mm-hmm. but I've started going, gosh, why don't I just look at these damn things on, the, on Safari? What am I really gaining by going to CNN.com? iPad app that I couldn't just do within Safari and then I wouldn't have to worry about this. So I'm sure you guys know. are on pins and needles to see how that goes. I'll keep you updated. <laughs> We're dying to know. All right. Well, if other people have examples of Dave's mobile web sites slash applications mm-hmm. that they like, at some point we'll dive into some of the native apps. Too. Is our website? Mobile? We don't have a mobile version of mobile our version? site yet, but okay. it's something we've been talking about and something we'll probably have before long. Too At long? least sections yeah. of well, and that's too, something we've talked about before. I mean, when it comes to your the content that you provide through a mobile optimized site, a lot of times it's not exactly what you would provide on the desktop. It's right. going to be streamlined. It's going to be just what somebody would want when they're in a mobile setting if you're out and about Um, because typically if you're at home or at the office you're going to have access to a computer and you might now correct me if I'm wrong this is really geek speak but didn't we used to use style sheets that would allow if you went on through a mobile phone to see a different version of it just basically the that's the way links that's an easy way to do it Um, I don't think we've ever necessarily we've had a print optimized style sheets in the past which it's Mm -hmm. the same approach Mm -hmm. it's just a different way of viewing a site I thought we used to have a mobile phone optimizer <clears throat> it wasn't anything it would be more like the star tribune version i gave where it's the links and not all the graphics right no we've talked about it 
but we haven't personally Maybe applied it yet. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, we better get on that. Yeah. We can't make fun of hospitals for not doing it if we're not doing it. We can, because they have an entirely different audience base than we do. Yeah, maybe. I suppose. We're not <laughs> consumer-oriented, right. but still. Wouldn't hurt. Wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Well, it's helpful. It'd be helpful even for us to have it as a, yeah. a reference tool of our own stuff. Well, That'd your job is to have it ready by the next podcast it. so we can talk about it. <laughs> well, we better, we better wait a month or two before the next podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, let's sign off for now. For Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards, this is Chris Bevelo. Jackie Ritako. Adam Meyer. We'll talk to you next time. Go Packers! <laughs>